I was in a homiletics class one time, and uh, we had to uh, preach these sermons. This was out in Dallas. And um, <laughs> this guy got up. He goes, man, first thing, I just want to apologize. And, and, and so uh, the way we did it, you preach the sermons, everybody had to grade it, and then we'd sit down with the professor, and they talk about it and everything. And I remember uh, I was sitting down with this kid, and the, and the professor said, never start a sermon with apologizing to people. All right? <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and break that rule right now. I apologize up front. Um, man, first off, you're probably going to get two sermons today, uh, so there's that. And then, uh, man, I, I'm not trying to upset anybody, okay? Uh, we, we might say some things that, uh, man, they flow from the heart, they flow out of love. I want you to hear that. And I'm, again, trying not to hurt feelings, but we're going to go where the word takes us, all right? So, Second Peter. Chapter 1, 5 through 8, hopefully this is very familiar to you by now. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we open up your word and we sit before it now. We come to you knowing that your word is alive and it's active. And God, I pray that it meets us where we are today. If it is encouragement, let it encourage. If it is healing, well, I pray that your word meets that need. If it is correction, or just simple teaching, God, I pray that your word meets us where we are. Let us become transformed into your image. Thank you, God. Amen. All right, so this week, we take the next step in this journey of becoming like Jesus. We've been talking about it all year. Uh, this is the vision of our church. It's going to continue on into the future that the, the goal of every Christ follower is for us on this side of heaven to become like Jesus. And so Peter's giving us a list here. If you have faith, you need to add to your faith these things in increasing measure. And today we get to talk about steadfastness, right? Like that's in the list. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now, a little confession. This is certainly one of those Bible words that I don't think I've heard used outside of reading the Bible. I, I can't remember at any time growing up in rural Jackson County, Georgia, Arcade, which was known at one point in time as the beer capital of the South, I cannot remember anybody encouraging me to be steadfast. My home church, Galilee Christian Church, and they, they used the NIV 84, right? Because that's if you're going to use the NIV, that's the NIV to use. Don't get one of these new, new versions. You've got to use the 84. And because we were a good little restoration movement congregation back in the day, we always had copies of the New American Standard sitting around, because that's what you did if you were a small rural Christian church. You had those steadfast 
steadfastness is not in any of those translations. And yet we have this text that Peter is telling us this very thing. And I know I'm reading from the ESV, and, and, and Peter is telling us that we need to add to our faith steadfastness. Now, what is this? Right? Uh, a lot of times you're going to hear it interpreted as just patience. Well, we've already talked about patience this year, the patience that's found or produced in us by the fruit of the Spirit over in Galatians chapter 5. That's actually a different type of patience than what this is. That patience is the patience you need to deal with the crowd at lunch or to deal with your kids on the way to church or to deal with long-winded ministers, all right? That's the patience that the fruit of the Spirit produces. You need that. That is different than steadfastness. And you're going to get to the end of the sermon or the second sermon, you're going to think, nope, I needed steadfastness instead of patience. Steadfastness is the power to withstand hardship or stress for long periods of time. That's what Peter is saying. We need to add to our faith the power to withstand hardship or stress for long periods of time. Come on, right? <laughs> Sign me up. Like, like, like let, let me be that, right? Like, I'll give me some of that, Peter. When understanding what steadfastness is, I can't help but wonder, um, why do I need this characteristic? Like, like, why do I need steadfastness to become like Jesus? Because there's this list of things, and, and I may not like the entire list of things over here, but, but virtue's good, okay? I can see where virtue helps me be like Jesus, and, and I understand the whole knowledge thing because I don't know everything about Jesus, so I gain and increase my knowledge. I'll know more about Jesus, and that, that helps. Self-control, I don't really like that one, but I see the need for it, right? Brotherly affection, okay, I got that. Love, certainly. Why do I need steadfastness? Why, why do I need the power to withstand stress or hardship for long periods of time if I'm going to be a Christ follower? Why do I need this in the equation of if you do these things in increasing measure, you will bear fruit? Well, James gives us a little insight. It's not going to come up on the screen, but it's a familiar passage to most of you. We, we use this, we, we quilt this, or we put this on uh, our, our, our paintings in our houses. You see this at your grandma's house. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The word perseverance there is the exact same thing as the word steadfast. <coughs> Let perseverance finish its work. <coughs> Pay attention. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James tells us that through the testing of our faith, as we persevere, or, or as we practice this steadfastness, we discover that our faith is stronger than we realize, and that Christ is more trustworthy than we knew. We have to have this in order to mature. In 1649, John Owen was a British minister, and he preached a sermon the day after King Charles I, 
or rather we got King Charles II now, so it's been a while, but we've got King Charles I, he was executed by his own countrymen in England. England was in a civil war, if you will, and Owen had the opportunity to preach before uh, the parliament at that time. And his topic was on suffering. Not on peace, not, not on unity, but on suffering. And, and he stood up and he preached, and in this sermon to the parliament, he talked about steadfastness. And he says this, steadfastness is not an end in itself. It is part of our sanctification, whereby we are more and more conformed to the image of Christ, and more and more we die to sin and live to righteousness. It's part of our sanctification process. Sanctification is the other Bible word that simply means we are in the process of being transformed <clears throat> into Christ's likeness. That's, all, that's what sanctification is. When, when, when you skim it all the way back. It's a process. It's a lifelong process that you and I are in. While we are on this side of heaven, we are being continually sanctified as we surrender our lives to Jesus. And the sanctification process is the Bible process of us becoming like him. It takes surrender on our part. Steadfastness is part of this process. It, it's something that must be part of our lives. This, this patient endurance must be part of our lives so that we can experience sanctification, thus becoming <coughs> like Jesus. But here's the problem that you and I face. <coughs> we live in America where we have thrived as a society on minimizing any suffering or any inconveniences. I mean, we, we, we thrive at it. When you take the big picture of the world and the history of the world, we, we know more about comfort than, than, than anybody in the history of the human race. We, we know less about suffering than most of the rest of the world does. Now, that's not to say that we don't experience suffering. Most of our suffering that we know is a result of the fallen creation and not because we bear, bear the name of Christian or Christ follower. Most of the suffering that, that we face, I'm just saying most, I'm speaking in very general terms here, most of the suffering that we face happens because of the fallen creation. Uh, many of you have dealt with some of the suffering, cancer, or, or some other long-term illnesses. When Mr. Jimmy was only going to be in the hospital for a short period of time, and then, and then he was going to stay at Christmas house, and then, and then he was going to get to come home, he fully expected that he would be back home right now. And yet, he's been in the hospital this entire time, up to this past week, where he's gone, gone to rehab. Praise the Lord. They think he's going home to Christie's house, his daughter, tomorrow. Right? So you can say he knows something about suffering because of an illness that has taken place in his life. Death it is another way that, that we have dealt with suffering. Went to a funeral just uh, two weeks ago of a guy just a couple of years older than me. Got up, got ready to go to work. Had a heart attack right there. 
His family is dealing with suffering. We certainly are familiar with suffering, but it, most of the time it is a, a, as a result of the fallen creation and not because we bear the name Christian. And there's an understanding, church, woven throughout the New Testament that as Christ followers, we should expect and even hope to suffer for being a child of God. It's one of the final warnings that Jesus gave to his disciples. The world is going to hate you, he said, because of me. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. The world is going to hate you because of your faith. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. So he has said that to, to you and I, and that's a sentiment that we rarely experience. You, you, you're hard-pressed, especially in the South, to, to find people that are anti-God. They're there. I know they're there. And so the Christian, based on the New Testament, should expect and even hope to suffer for being a child of God. The Bible is a book of examples. I, 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 can, I can make a list 30 long, easy. It's a book of examples of people who have demonstrated steadfastness, the power to withstand hardship or stress for long periods of time. In, in the 120 years that it took Noah to, to build the ark, I, like I'm wondering, like, like, man, you talk about perseverance. I mean, he... It took him a long time. He was mocked. He was made fun of. And then, and then he was in that boat. Think about this. 375, give or take a few days there, living in the ark with all the windows and doors shut with his family. And, and there have to be some animals. Abraham, 25 years. Joseph, 13 years. David was out watching sheep. And Samuel said, I'm here to anoint one of your sons, Jesse, as king. They bring him in, anoint him, send him right back out to watch sheep. And 15 years goes by before the anointed king of Israel takes throne. I think of Joshua and I think of Caleb. 40 years before getting into the promised land. God's like, I'm going to send some scouts in there and we're going to check out this promised land. I've delivered y'all to this and whatever's over there, don't worry about it. And, and Joshua and Caleb were like, hell, we can do this, God. With you, nothing's impossible. And the other 10 were like, oh no, we're scared. They're too big. They'll crush us. God brought us here to die. Joshua and Caleb were like, oh, God's got this. We'll, we'll let's go do it. 40 years, they had to wander while a generation of scared, apathetic God's chosen people died off. That's just to name a few. In the New Testament, there's several, but Paul's the one that comes to mind. Saul, the Christian persecutor, this guy is causing the suffering that many Christ followers of his day were experiencing. And one day he is on the road to Damascus to kill Christians, to throw Christians in jail. 
And he has this encounter with Jesus. <clears throat> Paul spent the next 14 years, church, of training and preaching Christ before he actually started his ministry. 14 years of training. I, I figure I'm just getting started. 14 years before he actually went, before he had the go into the world moment. His encounter with Jesus, if you do the math, was around 30 AD. 25 years later, he wrote his second letter to the church at Corinth. Maybe 50, uh, what was that? Yeah. <coughs> Yeah, 25 years later, he wrote his second letter to the church of Corinth. Nine years after that, he would die at the hand of Nero, most likely beheaded. And listen to what Paul endured as a Christ follower. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 16 through 28. Again, I say, don't think that I am a fool to talk like this. But even if you do, listen to me, as you would to a foolish person. While I also boast a little, such boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. After all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. I am ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? <clears throat> so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 flashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas, and I have faced danger from the men who claim to be, to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who's signing up to go on a mission trip with that guy? <laughs> then look at what he said in Philippians. This is not coming up on the screen. But he wrote to this church, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless 
because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Church, this is the most influential writer of the Bible. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I've got to ask you, church, do you share that same sentiment? Are you waking up each day hoping and praying that I can suffer the way Jesus suffered for his name? A few years after writing the letter, the second Corinthians letter, Paul wrote this to the church at Rome. Pay attention. This is very important for you and I. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. It's the same Greek word as steadfastness. What produces steadfastness? Suffering. He goes on to say, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Peter says to you and I, to Christians everywhere, that we're to add to our faith steadfastness. And Paul teaches us that steadfastness is developed. It's produced in our suffering. You think about the suffering that the New Testament church and the early church fathers, what they experienced. It's a little bit different than our culture. The, the trials that we face are going to come in, in different ways forms from what Paul and Peter faced. We currently don't have to fear physical persecution for being a, a follower of Jesus. We don't have to have secret signs that we, we draw in the dirt to, to show that, hey, we, we are a Christian. And, and I know that we don't live in a utopian society, but it is still safe for us to be a Christian. So here's where steadfastness comes into play for you and I. Because I'm like, I don't know anybody that has suffered the way the early church suffered. I don't know anybody that, that had steadfastness in this because of the fear and, and what they were, the persecution that they were facing. So what, where are we going to go with this? Well, how are we going to talk to a church in America in the Bible Belt about developing steadfastness that comes from suffering? Here's the thing, church. We live in a post-Christian society. You hear me say this a lot lately. And for several decades, 
Most everything in our culture centered around faith and church and church activities. That's not the case anymore. Before, you had to be like on your deathbed to not show up at church. Now, man, if I just wake up with a, with a mild headache, we don't go to church. All right? If it's too cold, we don't participate in things. I'm not getting on a, on a, on a soapbox here, but we are past a post-Christian society where everything was centered around the church and the workings of the church. <clears throat> and here's the thing. The next generation of Christians, my children, their children, they are going to face levels of persecution that most of us have not had to experience. It, it, it's coming. It, 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 it is going to be here in their lifetime, short of a massive revival in our country. And I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom here, but I believe that Satan has used our comfort against us. We see it all the time in the church world. I, I get uncomfortable with something, I bow out. We, we've had people leave this church because my preaching was too harsh. How about this? We've had people leave this church because my preaching was too harsh the same day Miss Margaret actually complimented my preaching. <laughs> True story. We, 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 the moment that things that I like they didn't sing my songs. Michael's been too long-winded. When, when the moment that the things that I like are neglected, I'll just move on. If there's any other option for, for me to, to be involved with it, that takes priority now over the strengthening of my faith with my faith family. If I don't like something in the Christian circles, and this one's going to step on some toes because we get it all the time. Well, my kids aren't having fun in student life group, so, so, we, so we're not going you know, to come back. Man, y'all want to do the math with the responsibility that as leaders of this church that we face because we're going to be held to a higher standard as leaders of the church and you as parents want us to focus on fun and I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to say, well, Michael, what kind of environment did you create for them? Was it fun? Did you focus on the fun or did you focus on feeding them? And I'm telling you right now, with the limited amount of time that we get to spend with church people, we are going to focus on feeding them. I'm all about fun. I love fun. I, I've been called Mr. Fun. Right? But <laughs> there's now three sermons today. <laughs> right? So this is this is what I'm this is what I'm saying. I got a headache. I'm leaving. We laugh at that. But that that's, that that has become the narrative. And what's happening as a society, we have created a very superficial faith system in our country. And I'm not saying anything to you that I'm not saying to me, because as a current Christ follower, I'm asking myself, what am I reproducing in my own home? Well, and, 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 am I reproducing in my home? Am I training up kids who are ready to handle the spiritual warfare that's waiting on them? 
Or do we coddle and give in and, and do we do we do everything we can to, to, to you know make sure that they're protected? The, the reality is, church, steadfastness comes from suffering, and you and I don't have a good idea of what that's like. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is instructing a church that is also dealing with a godless, capital G, society that is rich in idol worship. It's just out of Greece. It's part of Greece. It's where the church at Corinth is. Not too far from Rome. Rome's influence is all over them. There, there, there's, there's Greek gods everywhere. And he's talking to the Christians there. And they, they, they themselves are having an identity crisis. They, they, they go back and forth. They, they, they focus on God, but then they get distracted by all the other little gods around them. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He's saying to the church that we are to have patient endurance, withstanding hardship in the work of the Lord. Like that's the thing that has stood out to me this week. The work of the Lord. That, that as a church that relates to this church at Corinth, we are to be steadfast and immovable when it comes to the work of the Lord. What's the work of the Lord? Is it about church attendance? We, we do that. This whole thing on Sunday morning is to strengthen and to encourage one another to be part of the body of Christ. I, I, I need you just as much as you need me. Actually, no, I need you more than you need me, and we need each other more than you need me. We, but we need to assemble together as the body of Christ because, because that's how we work together. So is the work of the Lord church attendance? Is it giving? What's the work of the Lord? Well, Jesus said it. He gathered his believers, his followers on a mountaintop right before he ascended into heaven. Here's your task. Here's what you focus on. Go make disciples. Who make disciples? That is the work of the Lord. This is the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples, and it continues with us today. Church, it starts in the home. It starts with our kids. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not even an accurate statement. That, that, that's a completely American statement. Our kids. They're not our kids. They're not. They're not your kids. I'm sorry. These, these lovely people that are going to argue over lunch in just a little while. They're, they're not mine. God has given them to me. He has entrusted them to me. It starts there. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now, it is so much more than teaching them their little bedtime prayers. I'm all about bedtime prayers and reading the Bible at night. I'm all about that. It's so much more than getting them to church two and a half times a month. 
It is about intentionally having conversations with them about their faith journey and the things that they're struggling with. And, and as parents, and this was not the case growing up for me, and, and I'm still trying to figure it out in my house, okay? I'm, I'm not perfect at it, but it is about creating an environment in my house where my kids can come to me and say, I, I am struggling with this. How do I overcome it? Help me through this. Pray for me, Mom and Dad. The work of the Lord starts at home, and then it extends into your world. It extends into your work and into your social gatherings, into your neighborhood. Church, you and I have to be, we must be steadfast in our relationships. Because if I'm not, if, if I'm not steadfast, if I don't have the power to withstand hardship or stress for long periods of time, I'm giving up on you. Fine. I don't need to invest in you. I'll go find somebody else. And that's not how Jesus modeled it. We are to be steadfast in relationships because this is the only method that will prepare the next, the next generation of Christ followers for the spiritual warfare that they will be facing. It's the only way. It's the only method that's going to properly prepare them. Did, did you notice in that 2 Corinthians passage the very last line that, that, that Paul wrote about himself? Oh, that was so cool. He listed all this stuff. A number of times he's been shipwrecked and stoned and, and, and that's stones being thrown at him, by the way. Beaten with rods and, you know, adrift at seas here. The very last thing after listing all the things that he endured, he says, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> like that, that, that line doesn't even match up in my book with all the things that he's gone through. But it made the list of, man, this is, this is my life and this is my ministry and, and I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. The churches he's talking about are not buildings spread throughout Asia Minor. The churches he's talking about is the people that he's built relationships with. Steadfastness. Peter is building one characteristic onto another. And the order here is important for us. Add to your faith, he says, virtue. Add to your virtue, knowledge. Add to your knowledge, self-control. If you don't understand what these things are, we've already preached through them. You can find them on, on our app. You can go back to our YouTube channel, whatever. They're there. And he says, add to self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness. And so next week, we add godliness to our steadfastness. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, and it's crazy that this was my verse of the day that just popped up on my phone today. <laughs> was what we're using next week. We are instructed to train for godliness. That doesn't happen without steadfastness. I've been to the gym now in a month. Right? 
I mean, I've been, you, you want to know why? Because I don't have steadfastness in this area of my life. I don't have the power to endure hardship in this area of my life. Therefore, guess what has not happened? I have not gotten stronger. I have not gotten healthier. It's the same thing. Without steadfastness, we cannot train for godliness. So we must allow for steadfastness to be part of our lives so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So how do we respond today to sermon number one? <laughs> right, go ahead and take out your communion packets. We wrote this two times this week. I, I really wish I could say, man, you need to just go suffer. But you, you, you can't coach that. You can't, can't instruct people. And I'm not going to wish suffering on anybody. Right? But, but I hope that you have this understanding that there's this critical component to our becoming mature and complete that has to do with suffering. And, and a lot of that might be centered upon how comfortable we are as a society. How comfortable we are with not doing the Lord's work. And so right now, as we spend some time meditating this morning, you can go ahead and open these up. I want you to remember that Jesus never asked us to do anything that he wasn't already doing. Or in this case, being. We talk about his characteristics, right? We talk about those because that's who he is and that's what we aspire to be. Jesus showed us steadfastness, right? Like he showed us the power to endure hardship for long periods of time. One of those being 36 hours or so. For he demonstrated the ability to endure hardship as he faced his accusers, as he faced the people who would hang him on the cross, as he became sin, as he became our sin. So let's meditate on the fact that it was love, the love that he has for you and I that motivated him to endure the hardship of taking our sin as his burden. It's got to be love that motivates me to endure suffering. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son and that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Take the body that was broken for us and let's eat this together. And then he passed around a cup. This juice represents my blood that was spilled for you, that washes away your sins. 
God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love. Thank you for being and taking our sin. Lord, I pray that we can experience and in the trials that we have learned to develop steadfastness. And I don't pray this on anyone. But when they come from doing the work of the Lord or when they come from just living in a fallen society, God, I, I, I pray that we can develop steadfastness, perseverance, so that we will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is our prayer. Amen. That's sermon number one. I don't know why I wrote that. I got one more to go. <laughs> Promise the next one's not that long. What dawned on me this week as I was preparing for this, and, and, and it really did become a separate sermon, to be honest with you. And, and I had some conversations. Uh, Kristen and I had some conversations at, at, at my house. And I would love to just spend time on it, but, but not right now, not in this exact moment. But what dawned on me was that the natural responses to suffering and persevering through those in the Bible is singing. Uh, probably not my go-to, personally. And, and I, as I started just researching this out and started thinking about this, there's, there's several stories. One you're going to talk about in your life groups about Paul. Okay? That the natural response to getting through the suffering was singing. And, and, and then you, when you do the research, you start thinking of Martin Luther. What a mighty fortress is our God that, that he pinned that under persecution. And, and, and just, I mean, the stories after stories after stories of, of people who are in prison because of Jesus. And, and the natural response is to sing. It's to demonstrate our trust in the Lord by singing. That, that's why we read Psalm 57. I, I, it's fascinating to me that David wrote this song in a cave. He wrote this song in a cave, hiding with his men, while Saul was out looking for him to kill him. The appointed king by man was trying to kill the anointed king by God. And his own men, David's own men, are saying, as Saul walks into the cave to take care of business, catch my drift, kill him now. And David penned these words. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make known. 
And I'll tell you right now, there's something to this about our hearts and, and, and where our hearts are in the relationship with the Lord that, that I'm, I'm questioning some things in my own life. Do I aspire to this in the middle of suffering, in the middle of trials? The Hebrew word for steadfast here is actually kun. It's, it's not pronounced that, but it's K-O-O-N. And it means to be fixed, to be latched on. And, and David is saying that, he goes, that, that my heart is fixed on you, O God. It, 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 it created stability. He didn't let his emotions get the best of him. After all, he's hiding in a cave from his killer. And he says it again, I will sing to the Lord. Yes, I will sing. The biblical response, church, for suffering in developing steadfastness is rejoicing. Singing to the Lord. Now you jump forward to Jesus and he's on the hillside. He's giving his sermon. This is it. We're done right here. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And what does he tell us to do? Strike them back. Post something on social media about them. Defend yourself. He says rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. The people are doing this to you. And so I don't know what suffering you've got going on in your life right now. It, it may be minuscule. Some of you got other stuff. But let us respond now by rejoicing in the Lord because it develops steadfastness. Let's stand and sing together.